0: Hey, listeners, it's your friend Tig with a special request for your advice on how we're doing with the show. Whether you've been with us since yesteryear or this is your very first episode, we would appreciate you taking just six minutes to complete a short, anonymous survey to let us know what you love about the show and what you hope to hear on future shows. And you know what? Let us know what you don't like about the show, too. We can handle it. Please go to AmericanPublicMedia.org slash survey to complete the survey today. That's AmericanPublicMedia.org slash survey. Thank you, and on with the episode.
1: My mother's name is Fran, and people say, is that short for Francine? And she says, no, it's Fran. Short for Fran.
0: See, my name is Tig, and people ask, is that short for something? And I say, no, it's long for T. Good. Thank you.
1: It's funny. We are not alone, and nobody is hopeless. Everybody goes to shit. We got a friend in TIG. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: This is Don't Ask TIG. I'm TIG Notaro reminding you that when it comes to my advice, love it or leave it.
1: Nice. I'm sorry. Nice. I'm sorry. No, it was good.
0: You never heard that before. My dear, dear guest today is a former presidential speechwriter and co-founder of the podcast company Crooked Media. John Lovett,
1: welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I was a little worried you were going to say, dear, dear friend, and we aren't friends. No. We are not friends.
0: No, we are not. So, John, when you were in the White House, sure, did, did Barack Obama ever give you advice?
1: I mean, he gave us edits. He gave us edits to the speeches. You know, which uh-huh. is a form of advice. Write this better. Yeah. Couple things. Wouldn't it be nice if this were better? It wouldn't it be nice if this sounded more like me? That would be two kind of pieces of advice, I think.
0: Is that how he would say it? No. No. <laughs> Can you do an impression of him?
1: <laughs> Look, uh, I was... Wait, are you doing an impression right now? No, I did the, just the... Look. That That's it. That's all I was willing to do.
0: Okay, so <laughs> what were you saying You after you did your impression?
1: I remember there was this one time where I was on the road as a speechwriter, and it was a tour on economic issues, maybe it was healthcare, and there was a bunch of different speeches, but as part of it, he was doing some sort of fundraiser, and the fundraiser was going to take place after a special showing of the Sister Act musical. Of course. So I suppose they'd sold the seats for some exorbitant fundraising price, you get to see Sister Act the musical, and then afterwards, Whoopi Goldberg and Barack Obama come out, say a few words, etc., And at some point during the day, President Obama said something to me along the lines of, hey, it'd be great if I had some kind of a joke to come out with, because it's such a silly thing, what I'm going out after this musical. And my first pitch was awful. I'm going to tell it to you. Okay. And I hate it. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel bad. Okay. I said, hey, what have you... (laughs) What if you went out there and said um, something like, now that you've seen sister act, here's a brother act. It was just sort of like one of the worst things I've ever said out loud. Yeah. And <laughs> sadly, something I said to President Barack Obama. It's a, it's a shame when those Venn diagrams overlap, you know, like <laughs> I have said really stupid things out loud and I've said some things to President Barack Obama when they overlap That's a bummer. And so he looked me in the eyes and he just went, no, no, come up with something better. First of all, you feel pressure anyway. I would have felt pressure if I hadn't bombed so hard. But now it's like I have to come up with a great joke and I have to redeem myself while he's doing four other things. I have this like hour and everyone's making fun of me because I'm like pacing and I'm anxious and I'm sweating. And I finally thought of, something I was like, I need something that I know will land I can't go in here with a maybe. I have to have something that I know works, that I know he will like. And it occurred to me that he was at the time a father of teenage girls. And I was like, that's my in. That works every time. And so the second pitch was something along the lines of, it's great to be here. It's so great to see all of you and see Sister Act. I'm not only here to see this wonderful musical, but I also am doing research on convents, to send my girls after high school. And it was just great dad joke, exactly what I needed at that moment, and I redeemed myself. That's good. But I will never forget the uh, no, no.
0: Yeah, what you went through is almost, you know, nightly as a comedian. Those nosedives and then frantically trying to redeem yourself the next time.
1: Clawing. Your way back.
0: Yes. Clawing my way back. I cannot even imagine that job. And did he give you any advice ever that stuck with you? Uh. Other than, you know, redo it.
1: <laughs> Punch it up. That's if he didn't, that's fine. I mean I'm thinking of non-advice examples. <laughs> After I left, he had come out for some sort of event in Los Angeles. And I moved to LA, and I sold a show, and it happened really quickly. I was very lucky. I was in the right place at the right time, but I was extremely overwhelmed. Mm. Like I had no idea what I was doing, and I was working all the time. And I had gained a surprising amount of weight very quickly. <laughs> just, just like I'd really, I'd really done it. I'd really gone for it. Here's the thing: <laughs> You'd I had
0: really done it this time. I'd never,
1: <laughs> couple things I'd never experienced before. I'd never worked on a TV show before. I had never been around craft services before.
0: Oh, yes. It whispers to it you all It does. Day. I'd
1: never been like in charge in this way before. And the other thing is um, I had started seeing my partner, Ronan, and at the time, like we had not really gotten into a successful and practical life rhythm in this specific way. I would show up and I would eat all the things— Every opportunity, the four or five meals offered between 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. that one can... Well,
0: you were hungry.
1: I was hungry. Yeah. It was fuel. And then I would get home and Ronan, as a person, is one of those people that doesn't eat all day and then says, let's have one big dinner. And so I'd basically be stuffing my face for 13 (laughs) hours a day. And then he'd be (laughs) like, time to break the fast. And I'd be like, I'm in. I'm in. Anyway, I saw... President Barack Obama after this and he looks me up and down and he goes, "You're looking pretty prosperous." <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did you say to that?
1: I was like, "I don't think this is an expensive sweater. I don't really understand." <laughs> and then it clicked.
0: Did it take you?
1: It took me a second. Yeah. And it's like, "Oh, other people can see that." <laughs>
0: Were you in denial when you were expanding? Of course, of course, of course, of course. That's incredible. John, mm-hmm. you and, and your uh, partner, Ronan, mm-hmm. you're extremely busy people. Yeah. How do you make time for each other? It's none of my business.
1: <laughs> I think it's a challenge. It was actually the past year, the pandemic year was... The most time we'd ever spent together uninterrupted since we first met a decade ago.
0: How long have you been together?
1: We will be together 10 years this year. Wow. It's a long time. Feels like 10 years.
0: Yeah. Stephanie and I are going into year nine. She likes to round up. But uh, it feels like it. But I also love her and love being with her. But it's like, it feels like it.
1: One small piece of advice. Just so you know, Mm -hmm. the tenth year is the hardest. No (laughs) Just so you know it's coming. You think nine's a breeze. Well,
0: we're not even at nine. We're going into year nine.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Buckle up. That's all I have to say.
0: So how do you make
1: time? It really has depended on where each of us has sort of been in our jobs. Like there are periods of time when I was Basically, writing. And so then it was really easy for me to be flexible. And then he'd have a full time job, but I was writing. So I'd come to New York for weeks at a time, and his schedule would determine our couple time, like basically when he was free. And lately, he's been a bit more flexible because he's been working on a bunch of different things, but he's always working on a story, and that'll sometimes heat up and become all-consuming, but then there's periods of times where it's more of like he's slowly building up the reporting he needs to put out a piece. So it's sort of been who is the busiest and who is the least flexible in terms of what their work is requiring of them. And then there have been times when we've both been really busy, and then it's just hard. And what we have found is that you can be apart for a week, you can even be apart for two weeks, but then you hit that third week, and Distance is never the proximate cause of an argument, but you're arguing about things you wouldn't care about and you're mad about things you shouldn't be mad about and you're forgetting the good stuff because it's not in front of you, it's not as available. And it was helpful to me to think about those times during the pandemic because you see tension all over the place. It was in our politics, obviously, but you see it between coworkers, you see it between friends and my long distance relationship experience was really helpful because we were in a long-distance relationship with society, and everybody was having long-distance relationship tensions with everybody and didn't know how to handle it. And that's why Twitter is a sewer. Uh, that explains a lot of the kind of brittleness of this time. But Ronan and I, we, we recognized it instantly, you know?
0: Yes. I think me, you, and Ronan, mm-hmm. and Stephanie, and our kids— need a vacation together. I think that is what you need. Okay. In this year 10, and being so busy, the two of you, and then my family just needing a vacation. Mm-hmm. It sounds like we should all just go to Hawaii together.
1: Um, I'm not going to play hard to get in. Let's make it happen. Little bit confused, getting, I'm going to call it mixed signals. About what you want out of this relationship with me.
0: Someone to pay for my vacation. I see.
1: Because you were pretty definitive about the prospects for what's happening here between you and me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I've been on vacation with people who aren't my friends, who became my friends. Yeah. I've been on vacation with friends who stopped being friends. Okay. But I've never gone on vacation with somebody who wasn't my friend
0: So it'll be a new experience. How fun.
1: Maybe it's better. John. No expectations.
0: (laughs) That's the best way to go. Mm -hmm. John, you've advised the president, but do you feel ready to advise my listeners?
1: Oh, yeah. I do feel ready.
0: Our first question is from a listener who doesn't fit in. Mm -hmm. Ted writes... I'm running a small tech startup and getting very discouraged by the vibe in this scene. Business books and the common image of an entrepreneur imply you have to be a 27-year-old polo shirt wearing, football playing, aggressive straight, cocksure dude bro. I'm a late 30s neurotic gothy gay guy who draws comics and majored in studio art. I'm confident that in the product, but I'm having trouble even visualizing myself doing well here. Please help. Well, I can relate. You just show up, do what you do, and things happen. Things fall in place. Or not. What do you think, John? I don't know. I feel like you have to be exactly who you are and do exactly what you do. And not put focus on the things that maybe don't look like the norm about yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because the person says that they are confident in the actual work, which is the most important thing, and then worried because they don't look like some kind of archetype of what entrepreneurs should look like. I started this company with two friends crooked media crooked media and what we didn't know about how to figure out a business what a book it could be <laughs> all the things we didn't know and i do think that like there's this image of an entrepreneur that is what this person described and it is like very masculine and implicit in that masculinity is confidence cockiness, assuredness, knowing what they want, knowing what they should be, knowing how it's going to look, and as if that confidence magically translates into success. It's obviously true that people can get really, really far on that kind of attitude, for sure. But one thing that I like about being gay is it gives you an outsider's perspective, sometimes even on yourself and allows you a little bit more space to not do that kind of performance and to ask for help and to get the advice that will let you be the best version of an entrepreneur, be the best version of yourself. And so feeling like you don't know exactly how you're supposed to do this and not feeling like you look like every other person in your mind who has done this kind of thing in the past is an asset. That's a strength because no person succeeds in any kind of business endeavor alone. You succeed based on how well you get others who can do other things and help you and do the parts that you don't know. So it seems like that self-awareness is a strength.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you're saying, being gay is a strength. I feel like it allows you to come in a side door or... um crack open a window that nobody else is going through or looking through and doing your own thing. And I really do think that your talent will speak for itself and you are going to stick out for being exactly who you are. John, I think that what you said was very helpful. And I think that Ted, John and I support you. And I I think we would like to invite you on the uh, vacation now,
1: John, what? Ted, it's not like I don't want you to come, but the fact that she just invited you tells me it's not real. Yeah. Why? I just don't think that that's happening. I don't think what happens after this is you send a text to me and Ted and set sa- with some dates.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> you think that you and Ronan and my family and Ted are not going to go on vacation together?
1: I think oh. I think this vacation went oh. from went from a little fantasy oh. to a punchline. That's what it is now. Now it's a little punchline. Little joke. John. I feel like a fool. John. I feel like a fool. I feel like you just dumped blood on my head at the prom.
0: This whole thing has been a punchline. This is where you are wrong, my friend. Did I say my friend?
1: Wow. Oh, wow. Ted. Ted.
0: (laughs) Don't go changing. You're doing good, kid. No, you're not going on vacation with us. <laughs> you're staying at work. You're going to put your all in that. You bet. And you're going to see your dreams come true, Ted. All right, Ted? All right, Ted. Ted, you listen to me, Ted. John and I do support you. We do. I know we do. We really do. We have to take a break, John. We'll be right back with more questions, so don't go anywhere. here's a question about a different kind of bro. Jenny writes, Dear Tig, I love my brother very much. However, he is cheating on his girlfriend, whom my family and I love very much as well. The person he is cheating with also thinks he is loyal only to her. For months, my family and I have been in this impossible spot between a hard rock and a hard place, hoping the situation will eventually resolve itself. But it doesn't. What do we do? Tell the ladies or shut up about it and become involuntary accomplices. Thanks a lot in advance. What would you do?
1: I definitely would not tell the ladies. That's not, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to say no to that. For sure,
0: no to that. That's
1: not your role. My instinct, my like first response is, it isn't your business Until you're put in a position where you have to lie or you have to pretend.
0: Well, it sounds like she has to.
1: But what I would say is you can tell your brother that you don't like being put in a position of developing this intimate relationship with two people. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, look, I'm not the... Host at Tony Soprano's favorite restaurant. Like, I'm not supposed to be like, been a long time, Mr. Soprano, (laughs) when you come in with another person. Like, you're a sibling, we're close. You're bringing two different people and asking us to pretend. And so, I do think it is fair to say to your brother, you live your life, it's none of my business, but I'm not going to pretend and I'm not going to lie. And just understand that if you put me in a position where I'm expected to do that, it won't redound uh, to your benefit.
0: Yeah, and maybe part of that is asking him to not bring them around until he's sorted this out. Yeah. Because it's one thing if you're openly dating several people, then who cares how long the parade is that's coming through someone's house and life, but if there's dishonesty there and secrets, that's a lot to ask. Yeah. of you and your family.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a completely reasonable thing to say. I don't, I think asking someone to lie or keep secrets for you is a big deal.
0: I would hate it. If my brother was cheating on his wife, I would not want to see his wife. I wouldn't want to see anybody in that world. I, I would not want to be a part of that.
1: There was a time in my life where I was in a situation like that, and I was really resentful because of the fact that I felt like I was in that position. Mm -hmm. It was upsetting because you're forced into this little pact. (laughs) You know, you're like, I'm not in this. This is not my story. I'm not, I don't want to have this knowledge in my head. I don't want to be afraid I'm going to blurt something out at dinner. That's so unfair. That sucks.
0: Where's your girlfriend? Oops. (laughs) It feels like if you're going to be cheating, just keep your own secret.
1: I'll also just admit something else. Like, this brother does sound cool. He's got two relationships, both going at the exact same moment. That takes some hustle, you know? Yeah,
0: it does. You're right. We should probably bring him on vacation with us, too. That'd be fun. Oh, my gosh. Jenny, thanks for writing in. Good luck. John, this next listener is named Ann on a moose. Mm -hmm. That's just a normal name you've heard?
1: Is that Swedish, or is it <laughs> like on a moose, or is it- <laughs>
0: On <a moose. laughs> No, I believe it's Anne on a moose.
1: It's a play on Anonymous, right?
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? I think you're right. Anne on a moose.
1: Right? John. I don't know.
0: No, I think you do. Just a thought. <laughs> I, I'm a little blown away right now. <sighs> Anne on a moose writes- mm-hmm. I was reading that name thinking, well, I wonder what happened in her life that she thought, well, I'll call myself Ann on a Moose. And then there there you figured it out, John. I really like this boy in my class. And as a boy myself, wait a minute. Okay. All right. However, let's back up. Ann on a Moose writes, I really like this boy in my class, and as a boy myself, I am still coming to terms with my own gayness. I'm not sure if he likes me back, and I have seen friendships get ruined when one person likes the other, and I still want to be friends with this person. What do I do? Okay. And on a moose. Love your name. I have to say that.
1: Love the name. We love the name.
0: Have you hung out with him outside of class? I feel like that is a reasonable step to take. If you're getting a vibe that you enjoy each other's company or just friendship, why not say, I don't know if you're old enough to go somewhere. Or, I mean, certainly you could have him over to your house or go get coffee or a soda pop. I feel like if you hang out outside of class and you have an enjoyable time and the feeling is mutual, that situation will lead itself into another natural situation. But maybe not.
1: There's that Olivia Rodrigo song, Driver's License, that's very popular and it's about this teenage breakup and about how emotional it is and how she's driving past his house and how sad she is, and she's still in love. And there aren't a lot of songs about teenage love that are like, hey, just going to flag this for you. It doesn't matter at all. (laughs) Like, every feeling you have right now is extremely transient and will have no impact on your life in any consequential way. Do not worry about it at all. Like, I know how intense it feels. It will look silly in, like, Literally three years. (laughs) You will not care.
0: Okay, I hope one of my listeners grabbed your audio and will put that to music.
1: That'd be great. Enterprising.
0: Yeah, because you're saying there's not enough songs out there like that, right? Talking about that.
1: And I remember being 17, 18, 19, just coming to terms with my own sexuality, having these crushes, not knowing if they're gay, deep down knowing it doesn't really matter whether they're gay or not, that I don't have a chance in hell. (laughs) And feeling like the stakes were so high and that I'd been like programmed by so many romantic comedies to believe that a romantic relationship is this fluke event of luck and happenstance that depends on people being in just the right place at just the right time. And maybe it happens or maybe it doesn't. And then you get a little older And you realize that if you like someone and someone likes you, it suddenly goes from being hard to easy. And that isn't clear, I think, when you're just figuring this stuff out and seeing a cute boy across the classroom. Uh But it's a great shift when all of a sudden you realize that this doesn't have to be hard and you always don't have to chase and you will meet somebody who likes you and you like them and then all of a sudden, all your fears and all of your anxieties, they kind of move aside because you don't have as many questions. Because the person you're dating or wanting to date, they're not being coy and they're not failing to send you signals. They're not making it hard. So that's all I would say to Anonymous.
0: Absolutely. When it's mutual, when it's all in place, obviously it's very easy. And But you still have to have these moments. Yeah. You know, they're unavoidable. Yeah where you're pining away and you're confused and you're trying to figure yourself out and trying to figure out life and your sexuality and whatever it is. And so I'm going to guess this isn't the person you're going to end up with and on a moose, but I still feel like it's worth inviting this guy to go get, Coffee, or to share a banana split, yeah. or something like that, and um, to see where it goes, and allow yourself to have this adventure and curiosity, and maybe it'll be easy, maybe it won't. We don't know.
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: We, I mean, don't ask Tig. Don't ask Tig. Um, and on a moose. Thanks for your question, John. Yeah. You answered all the listener questions. That's it? Every last one of them. Okay. But before we go, we need to do one final thing. It's called Name That Thing. Name that thing. Okay. This is the part of the show where we help people figure out what to call their stuff. We've named everything from a fish to a guitar to a dog. The only catch is that whatever name we come up with is legally binding. All right. The listener must use it. Today's naming need comes from Shireen. All right? Mm -hmm. I need help to name my baby. I'm currently nine weeks pregnant, my boyfriend and I are unsure where to start with names. It is also too early to know the gender. What is a nice, elegant, unique name I should name my baby? I mean, John, my gut yeah, is Anne on a moose.
1: Here's my question for you. Yeah. Do you think you would have thought of that name if it hadn't just come up?
0: Of course not. Right. Why does that matter? I mean, who cares when it came up? We heard a beautiful name, Ann on a moose. And what do you know? We find out this couple can't figure out the name of their baby. I mean, do you have a better idea? Maybe it's Ann. Yeah. That's a nice... Maybe alec- it's just moose. Well, it's not... Well, that's good.
1: It's a sweet name. Moose. It's not what gendered. What about
0: Moose Ann? Moose Ann. <laughs> moose Ann.
1: This is my son, Moose Moose Ann. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well okay. She's looking for nice, elegant, unique.
1: Nice, elegant, unique. Elegant and unique. Sometimes I think the best new names that are unique are the oldest sounding names from the past because they come back in vogue. You just have to beat the trend, you know?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Like what like the oldest sounding names right now. Like sounds like they're a hundred years old, like Esther. Agnes. Myrtle. Myrtle. Bertha. Beulah. Myrtle. Myrtle's not bad. Evokes a beach. Millicent.
0: Yeah, I always try and picture a little baby toddling towards me and then picture saying, hello, baby Bertha. Hello, baby Myrtle.
1: Little Myrtle. Little Murdy.
0: Murdy. Murdy.
1: Short for Myrtle.
0: That is good.
1: It's just short for Myrtle. No,
0: I get it no i know mm-hmm. i I totally understand
1: are you thinking um, are you thinking are you thinking big island for us are you thinking one of the smaller islands
0: for our you, vacation?
1: Uh, the fact that you even had to ask it's not a real trip. It's such horseshit
0: oh my God, I have the best idea. <laughs> we go to like a Hilton, one of those big Hilton hotels. Mm-hmm. In like Honolulu. That's just so we don't
1: just spend time together.
0: And we go swimming in one of those big pools that has, you know, the big waterfall mm-hmm. in the pool. And it's like everybody's baby and kids swimming around. Yeah, just an oil and slick of
1: sunscreen yeah, right on the and surface. and you,
0: Ronan, me and Stephanie, and my two kids, and my father-in-law who lives with us too. He'll okay. be there. Papa Grande will be there. Great. Uh At the Hilton in Honolulu.
1: <laughs> we'll see you there. I
0: mean, come on. <laughs> Wait, are
1: we good with Murdy? I'm good with Murdy. I think it'd be a boy's name. I think it'd be a girl's name. I think it'd be a gender nonconforming name. Mm hmm. Murdy. I like, I like it. I like it a lot.
0: I do. I think it's really cute. You see somebody walk into the room, and you say, Oh, there's Murdy. All right. Shireen, your baby's new name is now Murdy. Murdy. Murdy.
1: It's Mertie. The name is murty murty Mertie.
0: M-E-R-T-I-E. Sure. Is that right? Yeah,
1: that has to yep. be it.
0: <laughs> Check in with us in about 18 years and let us know how that went for you.
1: I think Mertie will tell us sooner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we're not taking Mertie's call for 18 years. We've reached the end of the show, John. Okay. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been nice. I think.
0: I don't know what you do to me, but I like you a lot and I can't help myself.
1: Here's the thing you need to understand about me. Yeah. All I want from this hour is for you to like me. That is the only thing that I care about. For this hour, it's been the only thing in the world that I care about.
0: I love you. Wow. I can't help. My love for you is flowing. (laughs) I can feel it. Now, is there anything you want to promote?
1: Sure. Why not? Everybody, just do me a favor. I need you to subscribe to Pod Save America. I need you to subscribe to Love It or Leave It. All right? Those are just two of the podcasts I'm a part of. And then check out Cricket Media. We do a lot of great stuff. We have a lot of great progressive shows. Keep it. Hilarious culture conversation. Docu-series like Wind of Change. Just go. Just go to Cricket.com and check out what we do.
0: Just go. Just go. Turn this show off just and go. Just go. Why are they still here, John? Why are you
1: still here? There should be music at this point, right?
0: Please, somebody put a song on. All right, John, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with me.
1: What a delight. Thanks for having me.
0: TIG is hosted by me, TIG Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willett, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lohr. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark and Dan Latu. Our theme music is Friend and TIG by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Lily Kim, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at don'tasktig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. (laughs) And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds,
1: check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool.